Okay, good morning. I hope that works. Seeing is believing. So we are going to talk about a little bit of descriptive analysis and visualization, although not very deep into visualization at the moment. Whenever you start dealing with the data, you get some arbitrary files, right? You have to somehow understand what's in the data. So you need to somehow have a look, uh, describe the data, and uh, some of the best ways is to visualize using different visualization options. Um, one is, of course, just for understanding data, uh, for the understanding the phenomena underlying, but the other is to understand how clean or noisy or messy your data is. Uh, so somehow as the step in pre-processing, you will get some data file, you need to start pre-processing, you have to look what to do first. So why do we need that pre-processing? Just to remind you, because data often is, is not perfect. Uh, not to say that often data is really noisy, messy, incomplete, uh, inconsistent. Data comes from different sources. There is no certainty that the data would be consistent between the different sources. So incomplete, some data is missing. Noise, there can be errors, outliers. In the morning I read that uh, somebody printed in the wrong number in the, in the uh, ballot counts, so there are, could be outliers, mistakes in the data. People generate data, faulty machines generate data, there are mistakes in the data. And the inconsistent when data comes from different places, different conventions in one database to the, to the other, to the third. So data may have different uh, standards. Uh, so we need data uh, reprocessing. Basically, I think I, I said already why data is dirty, just that's a real life. Um, uh, depends on the human uh, or hardware problems, software problems, uh, just data uh, not collected, uh, many kinds of, of reasons. Um, data comes from different sources, and then, of course, you may have the, the function dependencies in your database, but sometimes you, you may uh, discover that some function dependencies are lost, so maybe you can detect that also. And as data comes from different sources, there will be lots of duplicates in the data that have slightly different, like address. You have address in, in uh, many different uh, databases, and quite often these are slightly different from each other. That is the most typical. Uh, I once, a long time ago, I got uh, three letters from the same company advertising the same <coughs> conference to me, all address to me at the same address in slightly small 
variations of Davos. Institute of Computer Science or Inst of C. The, clearly the labels have not been aggregated together and the company paid three stamps, sent three letters instead of a single one. Uh, especially the duplicate records merging uh, when, when you have addresses or, or things like that, uh, it, it would be very costly to send three times more letters than needed. Uh, also, the pre-processing step to understand the data, you have to understand how high quality it, uh, it has. If you put into the data analysis scrap, then you get out crap. Garbage in, garbage out. Uh, so we need all of this. Uh, for high quality, what do we need? We need um, a certain quality criteria. Like, uh, data has to be accurate. Data accuracy may mean that aggregate value with the, well, somehow, integrity, consistency, density, um, there are some of the definitions in here. Data has to be complete and valid. All the data has to be in, and all the data has to be correct. Um, completeness, uh, somehow, uh, what does it say in here? Achieve by correcting data for containing anomalies. So anomalies have to be uh, dealt with somehow. Uh, validity must be ensured. Consistency has to be ensured. Uh, uniformity, data density. Well, we should not have too many missing values. If we have a little bit of missing values is okay, because we can deal with that. <coughs> we, we, we can talk about a little bit of that, how to deal with some missing values. If, there, if the most of the data is missing, then it's very hard to use that data. Okay, uh, what are the things that you can do? You're already accustomed to use uh, uh, Excel or, or different ways. Uh, looking at the data, you can just look at the numbers, you can plot the, the rows in different ways. Uh, you can observe some missing values in here. The stuff that is now normal, uh, like uh, showing the heat map of the values that is now in the Excel, uh, 1996 and 7, uh, they were not routinely used when uh, bioinformatic data analysis uh, was coming along, then a lot of these, these types of visualizations were generated. And now it's a routine uh, application of the data, uh, visualization. Show them numbers by columns. Right? Very simple technique. Uh, I will throw in the question in here. Uh, there are some missing values. What does missing value mean is that if you want to compare this row to some other row, for example, as it calculate the distance, if some value is missing, then the concept of the distance breaks down. How do you compare uh, distances that have, compare all the five attributes 
versus the ones that have only four, well, sorry, one, two, three, four columns yet, or the four attributes versus the ones that have only two in common or three in common. So for some analysis, even though knowing that there are some missing values, you better put something in there for the sake of analysis. What do you put in these values? Like the, the first non-available in here. What should be the correct value in there? Zero. Zero. Zero when on that column average value is three. On this row the average value is, is 3.6. And you, you would put in zero. That is clearly somehow outlier. That means the distance between zero and and uh, all those that are averages, like in here three, will be quite big. No, that 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 is exactly that is, that is kind of thing I want you to think about what to put in there. That is the best thing to start with. Yes, uh, sorry, the, the zero is not the best thing. Uh, zero is somehow. Uh, Zero is perhaps not the best thing, but what you could think is, why don't we, why do we think that we know this value? Let's just take the column average. On average, in this place, there is three. Just take an average person, average height. Why not put the, if this is height, why not put the average height of the person, for example? Does that sound better than zero for the height? Uh, of course, it depends what are the attributes and what is the row. Uh, maybe maybe this is consistently measuring some measure over the time, and then why do we care about the average uh, in column if this is the temperature in different locations? This measures the temperature in the sauna versus the other measures outside. Why do we look at the temperature on average? Why don't we look in the sauna temperature on average? So in that case, we, we, would, we could say that uh, the value in here on average is 3.6. So instead of taking average for column, why don't we put average for the row? You can do that. If you argue that this is the, the, the reasoning in here. This measures in specific location. Take all the measurements for that location and put the average in there. If this is the time series, you could think that, OK, there is some if the time interval is small, somebody is missing, let's just interpolate between the neighboring points, right? if the data is time series, if there is some dependency between the columns. Uh, what else? What is the correct value here? Any suggestions? What? If your life would depend on that, which value would you put in there? Or if you would get uh, the, the lottery win, which value would you put in there? Sorry? Million. <laughs> she clearly does not want to get 
Which? Actually, actually, you know this thing that that uh, that money is not the motivator. If I promise you a million and think hard, and he comes up, let's put million in there. He clearly is obscured his mind for the thinking for the million I'm putting on table. So people do much better intellectual work without the monetary reward coming. You have to have the interest to this subject. Um, so you want to be the coolest guy in the room, uh, maybe to get the, uh, pick up a girl. Which value would you put in there? No pressure. No pressure. Looking at this data, can, can you see the numbers from back there? Okay, yeah, you, you should be in the front row. There is plenty of space in the front row. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, showing one way, for example. Uh, for this location in here, there is three, three missing and five. One of the things that you could do is look in the data which other things have 3, 3, and 5, and what do they have in common? So there is 3, 3, and 5, and 1. There is, uh, is there another one? 3, 3, and 5, and 1 again. Uh, then there is 3, 3, and 6, and 1 again. But 6 and 5 could be pretty similar. So you could say, oh, let's just look at the other similar cases. 3, 3, 5, 1. 1 is quite different from 3 or 3.6. 1 is actually pretty close to 0, uh, which I was uh, trying to argue that this is a bad value. The one who said 0, who said 0, would have 1 at the moment, right? You could say that let's look at the two closest neighbors, 3, 3, 5, 3, 3, 5, both of them predict 1. Or three closest neighbors, 3, 3, 5, 3, 3, 5, 3, 3, 6, all of them give 1. So maybe the best bet is to have a look at the data and put one in there. You have these options. Uh, so, but uh, would it also be correct to put there three, so it wouldn't skew the data as much? Well, I said that this is the column-wise average is three. For this column, for this attribute, the average is three. Yes, that's what. I mean. Yeah, that, that's what we sort of argued that average height of the person. Just, just this is the height attribute. Just take the average height. Yeah. So yeah. But if, but if the other if the other if the other attributes are uh, things like age and weight, from these two already you can infer a little bit about the height. If there are dependencies between the uh, attributes. Then you could use the different other attributes and try to predict. Right? So, so you can somehow the, the message is in here that you have to, for the data you can look from different points of view, somehow argue through with some kind of no, uh, domain knowledge, and you have a bag of options what to do. And the analyst has to decide what to do in these, in these moments. Uh, 
Okay, so this this is in here visualization. Maybe you did not uh, benefit from the visualization in here so much, but but later you can understand that we need different kinds of uh, visualizations, and that's what we are going to look at today. Um, uh, I think uh, yeah, I think we discussed uh, three two of these. So in the in the data pre-processing, we need to clean incoming data. Really missing values, smooth the noise out, identify or remove outliers, resolve different kinds of inconsistencies, integrate data from multiple sources into a somehow uh, single coherent view. Uh, later in the course, we talk about data cubes, uh, how to look at this data, uh, or make the new file files containing integrated data. When data comes in, it can be skewed for different reasons, for different type of approaches, one data, the other approach is the other. We may need to transform the data, to normalize the data, and aggregate the data, some, some of two transformations to the data. Sometimes uh, we need to reduce the, uh, the, the amount of data by, well, maybe we want to categorize instead of some uh, real point value uh, for height, why don't we categorize uh, tall, mid, or short, is that, oh, maybe, maybe for height it's bad, but definitely for, for the customer analysis, you would kind of segment the customers and so, say somehow that instead of giving all the attributes for different demographics, etc., why don't we just try to classify them into five classes, and then I say customer from class A, B, C, or D, or E, right? Much smaller representation of the data. And discretization is kind of a similar thing. Instead of having numeric data, somehow discretize it into the different blocks. Uh, so, data cleaning or soaping, you get in dirty data, you apply soap and you make it shiny. Uh, integrate from different multiple sources, multiple views, different databases, different uh, uh, types of files, make it a coherent single database. Uh, data transformations, uh, maybe instead of, of uh, large values like 159, etc., maybe we want to somehow normalize it to between range 1 and minus 1. Right? So different tra data transformations can happen. Uh, so instead of absolute counts in one database, why don't we convert these into relative counts in the other uh, data view? Data reduction, you take in huge redundant data and you make, make a much smaller subset of that, which is more amenable to the analysis. So these are some of the ways for the data preprocessing. You get in large data sets or 30 uh, multiple data sets, and you, your task is to come up with, a, with something that can be analyzed. Uh, so normally, uh, these kinds of data uh, preprocessing steps are sort of exporting and making the transformations and then loading into the new databases or making new versions of the data. But in order to know what to do, uh, we have to somehow understand also the dirty data or, or, the, or the properties of the data. And that's why we need uh, uh, somehow to describe first the data. Somehow we have in comes the data, and you just have to somehow describe that data. How do you describe this data? 
What? Massive. In what terms? In any terms? Numbers between 0 to 1. Okay, ranges between 0 and 1. All of them are from 0. Oh, there is a, at least 0 is what's present. Is 1.00 present anywhere? What is the largest value? Is that important to find the smallest and the largest? Yeah. What else? How, how, how do you, you, you... You know many aspects, so I'm just teasing you. The minimums, the maximums, uh, the, the average values, the median values, different, different numbers, right, that you can calculate on this data. Uh, or you could, uh, of course, try to somehow plot the data. So these are, is it one, two, three, ten, ten, it should be hundred values. Hundred values in these, and these are the, what the values are. You can immediately see the largest values and the smallest values. Just hundred values, just plot the data, right? Uh, you could uh, plot the data by first sorting the data in increasing order, right? And you could see already some, some well, from here somehow you could see that they are more dense in these smaller regions and very few high values, right? Already there is some understanding of the data compared to this. By visualizing, you already get some understanding that there are few larger values and majority somehow is in here. Uh, by just sorting the hundred numbers, you observe the same thing, sort of like how the, the first 40 values are between 0 and 0 0.17. 50th value from 0 to 100, 50th value is the median, median value is 0 0.22. Median is half or larger than 0 0.22, half or smaller. Um, and then you see somehow you may be think, you, you may think that these may be somehow outliers, but how do you know, right? So this is just having a bunch of numbers and making artificially this xy box plot, but just on the x-axis, just sort them, give them in a row the values. Uh, this, from here, you somehow see that there are more values in the small range. So now we have the, the values, the largest values, the smallest values, and now we've got the density of these values. The density that you have to somehow estimate from here, this is now made explicit in here. Small values are in higher abundance, and uh, these two groups uh, out there form other sets. So basically, oh yeah, so, so this distribution somehow, I, I turned the, this around, so the small values, the large values, and you can see how many of those there is. So this corresponds to, to somehow many smaller values in here, and, and these clouds give this density in here. 
So one of the things today is to understand how this density plot could be made. How, how do you go from, from a, just the numbers to this kind of other visualization in here? Um, again, okay, so this is, uh, this is one of the topics that we're going to cover, but again, the background to all of this is somehow we need to understand data. We have the master university database or universal to database. We take all the science subjects, uh, students, and what if our SQL could have the statement like my characteristics of science students in relevance to their name, gender, major birthdays, residence locations, phone number, GPA, for graduate students. So what would this kind of uh, statement sort of imply? It would imply that we, we should have some kind of uh, uh, ways to describe a set of students, a set of graduate students, and somehow to characterize them in these aspects, right? Um, you don't expect any name preference for science students. You may expect some gender preference for science students uh, that there are, I can see, only a handful of girls in here, right? Um, which is a shame. There should be more. Um, what are the different measures? Uh, is there uh, uh, age dependency, residence dependency, uh, um, grade point averages? Are they higher for certain subjects? Um, like for languages, are science students having what type of uh, uh, grade point averages for, for the language? So, mining these characteristics may call for these, uh, somehow summarizing the, the, the numbers, right? Uh, show these mean values, median values, plotting. That's why we need all of this. Uh, to understand the data. And uh, some of the things that are uh, that you can really, uh, of course, uh, uh, calculate uh, the middle, well, basically the, the smallest, largest values, medium values, different, uh, like ten percent. What is the value of the tenth percent percentile quartiles, uh, where the world outliers, etc. So um, the average. You sum up all the values and divide by number of values, mean, average. Uh, median takes the 50 per, uh, basically the half point of the values. Yeah. Half are smaller, half are larger. Um, which one is better, median or mean? You always have to ask, in what context, in what way better? But let's uh, take an example. Um, 10,000 people in the huge stadium 
watching the important football match. On average, they have a network, say, 100,000. On average. Yeah. So that means on this stadium, there is how much? There is uh, 1 billion dollars represented on that stadium, right? Million, billion. Is this calculation true? Yeah? You understand? 10,000 people, each having a family home, the net worth is about 100,000 on average. So on this stadium, there is 1 billion net worth watching the football game. Let's add one person in here. How much does this change? By hundred thousand. Is that made that money if they pay Bill Gates? Whose net worth is now what? Eighty billion? What happens to the average? Average means that somehow everybody gets eighty times richer. Everybody is now eight million worth. So the mean can clearly, uh, it's dependent on the outliers. Right? What happens to the median? Pretty much the same. Maybe it shifts to your next, right? But it's it's dense, right? So so you can you can talk about some uh, some measures that are. Uh, more tolerant to the noise or outliers, right? If, if you have the extremes of the distributions, then in order, well, you could also do the, uh, the average counting so that you just exclude the top 5%, low 5%, and take the mean of the, of the rest in between, right? Ignore all the potential outliers. And then you have really stable thing. Mode is just the most frequent time. Okay, so clearly you know that there are some numbers that you can calculate, and we, we will come back to those. But, uh, but we would like to somehow also visualize or understand, the, uh, look at, 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 at deeper detail. And this is, of course, that you have, you have seen before, the histograms. Uh, the numbers range from minus 4 to plus 4, and uh, they are 0 0.5 uh, brackets or, or buckets. Um, how many values there is? 8 values between minus 1.5 to minus 2, right? You can see what is the distribution. And in here, the average, the most frequent ones are around zero. So the and the mean, it seems perfectly symmetric both ways. It looks very normal distribution. So you know, uh, if this behaves nicely, that the, the mean and media values are around zero, and then you could uh, somehow, you know, from statistics of 
that you could ask how wide is this distribution, etc. But somehow you can clearly just count how many values fall in this range. Right? You have one database where there was four occurrences of, of this type, and then you, you bring in the other database that is 100 times larger. How do you compare 40 to 4,000? Of course, you make the relative frequencies. You convert that into percentages. Right? So now everything is uh, percentages, and then you could compare the large data set to the small data set by looking at the relative frequencies. Uh, and you can relate these counts to the, in this case, uh, normal uh, distribution. So you could calculate some mean value, the, what are the standard deviations, and plot somehow the, the, the expected distribution. You have seen these normal distributions, the average height. Well, people are around certain uh, certain rate. So, in this case, it's uh, I could say that this is a, a, a the theoretical uh, normal distribution, Gaussian distribution curve shown on top of the histogram. Um, and now we are going to challenge you on the histograms and these theoretical curves. How to do that? This curve, not theoretical, but actual. Uh, curve from the data. So for the histogram, what, what do we need to have? In here there are equal bin widths, but we have to decide where is the start and end point, right? What is the, what is the start point? What is the bin width? Uh, how many bins there will be? So the breakpoints between the bins. Example, uh, airplanes built between 56 to 84, uh, their wingspan, and how many different planes with that wingspan. And wingspan has been taken a logarithm of the, of the meter, so basically scaling it a little bit down, um, just how, how, how wide wings the planes have. Uh, in this bin, there is one, two, three, four, five, in this pin width or range, there is one, two, three planes. One, two, one, two. So, how would you describe now the different planes built in this time range? Is this? There are more more planes with with a, uh, with a uh, smaller wingspan, right? Is this the best way to visualize this data? Does this describe the data? Yeah. Well, I would make it difficult, I guess. You would make because it difficult. The values, uh, they will change the bin breaks. And the, the bin breaks. The bin breaks. So we, we started with most obvious. We started with the integer value and had the 0.5 bin break from 1 to 1.5. 1.5 to 2, 2 to 2.5. So what happens if we change the bin uh, width? If we started, if we went 0.25 to uh, 1.25, 1.75, 2.25, etc. We just changed a little, shifted a bit the breakpoints by 0.25. Right? 
and now we have different view. What does this view tell us? If there would be many more examples or samples, then maybe the problem is not so uh, uh, problematic. And here, the, it's a little bit artificial. Uh, artificial shows that the, the sample size is small. The bin starting points may have a tremendous effect on the histogram. Uh, so which one is more correct? When, how, how, how do you know in advance where do you put the, the bin breakpoint? Maybe according to the normal distribution. According to normal distribution? You could put like on the first, second, and third. So you, 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 would, you would assume that your data is normally distributed, and then based on that somehow you would uh, take the mean value and then... Well, in the first attempt. In the first attempt, yeah. But is this normally distributed data? <coughs> so, okay, clearly there is a problem, and, and, and of course you would have to make some assumptions somehow, and you never know are your assumptions good or not. The density... But it's not assumption free either. So let's let's uh, keep looking at the same data. So this is just the comparison of the two, and they, they would tell you a totally different story, right? Very small change in the parameters tells a different story, and that is kind of bad. Uh, so histograms are not smooth; uh, they really depend on the endpoints of the bins and width of the bin, right? How you define the, the bin width and, and the breakpoints? So, if you fall in one side or the other side of the bin, so that's why we could use what is called kernel density estimate, the density of the values in some regions. So, uh, instead of uh, how to say. The histogram looked something like that. We, we were talking like uh, in this, these two values add up in this, in this uh, bin interval, right? We would count how many data points is in here. One, two, three, four, right? Just they happen to be in here. So what we do from here, what, where we go from here is, is instead saying that that we don't know the bin breakpoints. Instead of making assumptions, sort of like prior assumptions about where the main breakpoints are, we say that we want to count this point in its somehow neighborhood. Right? 
Maybe the point is you're not even correctly measured, right? So we, we may call this uh, just around this point. So that so the left and right from this point. If you have if, if you have this point, we do the same. Right? Now the problem is what do we do when we have thing in here? We should do the same. Right? That means that in here we shoot up. We have we have to add them up. So we say that this point has the effect on its immediate neighborhood, a time neighborhood. If we add in here uh, another one, just on the one dimension point, but then I draw it in here, that means the box of this uh, shape, the box of this shape, and we add them up again, one is there. And already, we, we can show that we build up the density using squared blocks. Saying that this point could be anything in this range. So for the same data, just making the boxes around every point, stacking them up, is a kernel density estimation for the kernels of this shape. The kernel in here means that somehow this point, how, how do we take that into account to its left and right side by this function, by the box. So now what, the only thing that now remains in here is that somehow we say how wide around the point we should take it into account. Right? And then you just hack it up. There is no uh, prior breakpoints like we had in here for the histogram. What is the problem in here? The problem is that it's not very smooth, it's not very nice. Why do we say that for this point it could be equally this value or that value? Why, why, would, why should this have the box shape? Why don't we move from this thinking into the thinking that, okay, if there is value, let's assume that this is uh, uh, coming from the normal distribution and Instead of this box, uh, apply this shape of the kernel, Gaussian kernel, normally distributed. So in here, the endpoints are very sharp, and that's why you get these uh, breakpoints in here. But if you take this into account in this shape, somehow it smooths out. The, the sum of the things. Um, let me see. So blocks are discontinuous, 
and we want to have some smooth, smoother density estimate as what I added in here. Um, of course, we somehow could think, is it wide or narrow? Is it uh, this shape or is it this shape? The outcome is quite different. But applying one of these, so having the individual distributions added up, now we have smoothed out the, the line. We have got rid of the breakpoints because of the, the underlying functions are very smooth. Okay, does, does this picture now tell you the entire story? How many different types of planes there is? There are, there are one, two, three, four peaks in the data. It would say that there are four different types of planes. Or would it that be due to much to infer? So what happens if we make this distribution wider? If you make it very wide, we say that they add up to this shape. This is already a like, looks like normal distribution. So between this narrow and wide, maybe there is some middle way. And maybe maybe this is better. Now it's uh, relatively smooth, and now it somehow shows you that there are two clusters or two types of planes, one that have smaller uh, wingspan or larger wingspan. And since this is log scale, actually, then the difference is actually like two, three fold. Uh, the larger ones are two, three times larger than the small ones. So, uh, if this is wide, uh, this is narrow, so how, how, how can we come up with some correct things? Somehow, there might be some methods to estimate it, and of course the tools that you're going to use, uh, try to use some of these correct ways. Um, but, um, yeah, okay, this, this is sort of like optimal, and from here it shows that there are two, uh, most of two frequent types of planes, the, the smaller ones with a, about 12 meter range and a wingspan, and the larger ones about 33 meter wingspan. Uh, So, uh, going from histogram, from the, from the bin thinking into this kind of kernel thinking, as, as you know, even for the Gaussian uh, normal distribution, even this would be possible. It, even this value has some, some probability somehow, right? So, it could be more narrow, more uh, broad, but it's it now has less parameters, and now we are not so much dependent on endpoints. But we do uh, depend on the bandwidth. Uh, you can, of course, read uh, different sources. Let's have a look in here. So what it boils down to is this kind of mathematics. We want to estimate the, the kernel uh, for the point x. So basically, what we would like to plot is, is uh, this, this value here, 
So for this x, how do we get this height in here? We look at all the points. We know the distance of this point to this one, distance of this point to this one. We know what is the value from this point, what is the value from that point, what is the value from this point. So we have to go through over the, all the points, look at the dip, uh, distance. We want to know where is this uh, point should be. You go through over all the points. Uh, you look at the difference of this point to this x that we try to estimate for, and then apply the function, further function can, that can have different shapes, either the box or the or the normal distributed one, and then you add them all up. You take the average, and you would take the average of the values, and then you get the estimation. Gaussian function, normal uh, distribution function, function, you can get from this function when you look at the normal distribution. Looks complicated, but it's not. So, if you really want to calculate everything yourself, then you want to find, uh, you want to build for these numbers the kernel data, or if you want to calculate everything yourself, you, you say that for x from the smallest to largest value in 0.1 step, you want to plot something and uh, you apply the function. This function, no, sorry, kernel smoothing, you apply for the for the, all the for the, all the x's in this range, and you get the value. So for every data point, uh, you add up uh, this function. Right? You can you can write this into the program code in here, adding all the parameters, and then just Send back square root, uh, where is the square root? Uh, this value. And you apply this uh, over all the points, and you get the histogram. Of course, this is if you calculate yourself, but you have built in functions actually. Uh, R has many different libraries that do the kernel uh, smoothing, uh, kernel density uh, estimation. You can choose any of them. Uh, on this address, there is a Java web app that, uh, where you can play, put in the numbers, choose the kernels, uh, different kernels you can draw, add the numbers, see how this changes, change the parameters, see how this changes. Change the kernel, you get a different one. Since it's a Java applet, uh, most of the computers do not run it anymore for security reasons. But it, but it's a, if you get running, then uh, quite nice. This is for one-dimensional data. You can do exactly the same for two-dimensional data, but instead of the shape now, so the heat map of the hotspots, hotspots in here, there. So basically, you know that underlying, you just, this point builds a small mountain on top of it, and the, the mountain top will be uh, shown on the heat map. So you, you go from single dimension suddenly to two dimension. Um, Raymond Tunnel and uh, Lave Hamanik program last year as a project to data mining, to data mining course. Uh, another version where you can just click on the data points, uh, calculate the histograms, 
and, and these uh, kernel density estimation plots, you can change the width, you can uh, choose the uh, kernel in here and see what happens dynamically. So this is uh, one data where you can, uh, the scaling is in here, quite uh, small width. This is clearly too wide width, you just uh, slide, uh, slide the bar in here. Uh, this is the white width, and this is, oh, okay, this, this one looks nice, but if you make it too narrow, then you have shape like that, but you can play with it. Uh, yeah, I think it's better that to, uh, to play with this. Uh, even, even now, if somebody has computers, so you go to this um, kernel density estimation, kd.tuma-mile.3.e, and the link is from the courses webpage under the software. If you go to courses, there is on the left software, and there is a link. Um, so you can play with these uh, things. Final uh, comment uh, from Tallinn University of Technology uh, has been doing something where he has been grabbing uh, all the photographs from the panorama photobank. If the photo is made has the geotag, it has the XY coordinate. Yeah. If many people, tourists go around, they make the photos upload with the geotag, they tend to photograph the same sites. They go to the town hall square and photograph the town hall or university main building. So where do tourists make photographs? Most often. These are the hotspots for photographs done by tourists around the world uh, in different places. Apply this kernel density estimation on top of the Google map. You can zoom into any region uh, on the Google map. You can go to Estonia to have the looking there. You can zoom into the region, so you just plot the density uh, by heat map. So hotspot in this and the example of this uh, photograph in here in the uh, Grand Canyon. Venice location, and then you can also do the mining of, of looking at how the people have been tagging the photos. They have described the uh, photo somehow, so you can immediately get hotspots and what is there to look at. Simple data mining, simple counting the frequencies and showing the most frequent things. So the uh, is this Shams and Z and Arthur Jun in Paris. You can see by just looking at the photographing the intensity. So what is happening in here in XY two dimensions is that if you have XY just locations of the photos, geotagging, you build this density plot, in this case going from one dimension to two dimensions. Yeah. And instead of this hill ranges you can show the impact. Uh, so far, so okay. Any questions about this? Yeah. 
so far? Uh, the, we said that we, you can set the optimal bandwidth somehow, but it may also, people are also trying to calculate, work on uh, finding what is the optimal bandwidth. And even to the extreme that to say that, oh, let's use one bandwidth in one region and some broader bandwidth in some other region. So to change the bandwidth across the uh, data range. Um, so you could uh, see here, uh, or you could uh, uh, compare the kernel density estimation to the histogram, but now you could see the histogram, underlying histogram, has suddenly uh, varying bin widths. Okay? So somehow you can even try to go through the data and try to estimate the bin widths and, uh, and the bandwidth of these uh, histograms and density plot. Uh, so this, this, these are just showing some, some research, uh, how people are, are they're looking at this uh, from the research perspective. And as, uh, uh, I think I did not update our tutorials, but you can clearly read different our tutorials. You can Google for our density estimation, and you can, you can work with these data sets. <coughs> Um, okay, so about the kernel density estimation, just to summarize, finish on this topic. So you have to, you can have more choices than the two box or the normal distribution. You can have different shapes, right? And you can play with different uh, different kernels, different bit bits. Um, in here. And the idea is somehow to, you would like to reveal from the data what is important in the data. We have been showing already in different times these uh, xy plots. Of course, you could uh, take xy and just plot the individual values. What we showed with the, what I showed with these uh, photographs is just estimate the density of these plot, uh, points over the certain regions. But just looking at xy plots, you could already. Uh, see a lot in the data if there is some uh, correlation or tendency here. How does the data look like? Uh, uh, you can see the outliers. If you don't know anything about the data, just plot it, and you can clearly see that these are the outliers. You can see, right, without setting the threshold. Maybe once you see them, maybe then you can set the threshold for the outlier detection. So x, y, uh, or um, Floating point coordinates looks nice, but what happens when there are integers? When you have dice having one to six, two dice, uh, what does this tell you about the pairwise dice throws? It tells you which combinations have occurred. But they're exactly the same values. Of course, the, the density estimation somehow should should show which values are more common if there is some relationship between the two values, if they're integers. Right? Um, 
What are the simplest things that you could do to the integer table? If there is more data, oh, I don't know why this is. Every, every combination is there. What does it tell you? What are the standard techniques? Well, somehow I guess it here it already tries to show some are lighter and some are darker. Somehow tell what, where are the frequencies. X amount of the box already does something like that. But what you could do, even, and that's why I'm saying that sometimes even Excel is, is quite fine uh, for some of the tasks. So you could do easily just around random scatter around every point, convert this data, make some random noise, and around just convert this uh, 6 and 4 to 6.9 and 4.11. Yeah? And uh, suddenly 6 and 4, in here you have many different random points. If there are more, you see a larger crowd. That's a very simple trick, right? Just have, add some random scatter uh, to the integer. And now you can immediately see somehow the, some of the common, uh, more common uh, boxes. <coughs> Uh, so visualization is nothing set in stone. You can, you have to apply your own thinking to that. How do you bring out the information that you want to deliver? And moreover, when you start describing somebody your data, you better make all the visualization count so that you can deliver the message. How to deliver the message of what are the, uh, now we are coming back to these uh, densities and, and the, the means, medians, uh, modes, etc. Your data could, have, could be looking at, uh, at normally distributed, symmetric, but mo most of the data actually is not perfectly distributed like that. They can have different uh, uh, asymmetries or, or multi uh, uh, multimodal, the small and large values, and it could have multiple uh, modalities. Um, if the symmetric and mean, medium modes are roughly at the same place, if it's skewed, the long tail goes to those large values, which are starting build gates at the very far end of this long tail, and that immediately shifted mean by a lot. So if it's symmetric, if, if it's skewed in, in this direction, the larger values bring the mean higher more than the median. So the mean will be on that side. If it's a different side, the tail, then you have the mean going to smaller values and median staying uh, closer to the mode. Mode is just the single most frequent value. So even from these individual numbers, you can you can interpret a little bit if you know if you have thought a little bit about these uh, these how they are calculated or how they are how do they look like for different uh, distributions of the data. 
So the, if you write the uh, program, the easiest uh, things to calculate are, of course, the smallest eyelid, the largest eyelid, the mean and median, um, or quant size. Quant size, if median is the 50% is the value, the smallest is the first, the largest is the last, median is middle value, or the average of the two values, if, if, if there is even number, and you have to take the average of the two. Uh, and then the uh, quantize can be 25% and 75%. Even the uh, five values, smallest, largest, median, 25%, 75%, uh, you can easily calculate, and you can, uh, you can bring out from the data. Right? You can calculate how big is the interquantile range, so how many, how many values is between Q3 and Q1? Did you pay attention? How many values is there? 50%. 50 how of the values fly between this and that range, right? And you can ask, is this range small or large? And if this is uh, larger than, if this is very small, then you can apply this and, and say, okay, what, what happens to this side? This is very far from my 50% of the data, right? It's many interquartile ranges further away. Uh, or likewise, you could uh, calculate the standard, uh, the standard deviation and say how, how far, how many standard deviations is something away from the mean, mean point. But in here, you can just uh, calculate easily these values and, uh, and uh, visualize them. You could visualize those as a box plot. The median, upper quartile, lower quartile, and outliers, perhaps. One, two, three values, largest and smallest, are the five values. Yeah. Five value summary is something that you can plot as a box plot. So the box plots can show you in one data set, second, third, fourth, you can see clearly that uh, these are the largest values on average. Most of the values lie in this range. The outliers up there, or maybe you cut it to 1.5 interquartile ranges up in here. There could still be some outliers in there, up there, individual points. You could visualize those individual points. Or you just show that most of the 50% of the data is in here. Actually, 25% is in here, and 25%, about 35% in here. So you can this show already a little bit of the uh, distribution of the data by just showing five numbers on the graph as a box plot. You can see here the outliers, individual points. Somebody, some value is, is this, some value is that, individual outliers. If they are out of this inter, this is interquartile range, and Add 1.5 times in here, you, you do the whiskers, and then everything on top you can show as outliers. So it's also called as box and whiskers data. Um, and of course, uh, uh, R has brought you all of these in different, uh, uh, nicer quality like this one. All of this can, can be done easily. Uh, 
This is uh, oh, so measuring so, uh, sun activity, solar fluxes, some, some data measurements over the years. What, what are the values in this year? You can see if you, if you measure the right thing, if you plot them correctly, you can see you should be able to see this 11-year sun activity pattern. And you can, you can actually uh, uh, calculate also the, the, some probabilistic values, how, how probable that would be, or what is the p-value, uh, if there would be no um, sun activity patterns. So clearly you can see some uh, patterns in the data now, across the years. For every year, a single box plot. So for this uh, range, make a box plot. Uh, this is uh, over one dimension, basically one, uh, uh, in this category, you could do the uh, three-dimensional thing, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that this visualization, actually this is not very nice, but anyway, you could plot these things in 3D, right? You can compare different things, and distributions are wider, and here they are uh, uh, more narrow. If you now start comparing uh, the different categories, then you may need to do something about that. If you want to compare this value to that value, you would say that they are, this is clearly out, for this, this would be an outlier, right? Some, well, very far away. But in fact, they are, should be comparable, this value here to that value there. So this kind of visualization uh, could help you to look at how the data is similar or different, and maybe, maybe you should actually make them similar. Then you then you would uh, like to apply normalization first to make them sure that they have the same mean, the same ranges, and then start comparing things. So maybe you first, you take this, but then you apply some transformation, and now the data is more comparable to each other when you start comparing oranges to apples. We looked at all the normal uh, this kernel density estimation, right? And now we came, now we suddenly said that over five numbers is enough. One, two, three, max and min. Five numbers is enough to make this a box plot. And you were happy to say that we ignore, but why do we ignore all the kernel density estimation that we have in here? It's just five numbers is enough. So you can take the, you can take this kernel density estimation and, and turn it upside down and, and in fact uh, plot the densities uh, as you would normally do in here. So this is for different months. The, Frank, I don't I don't know what is measured in here, but clearly in June the averages are higher. You have uh, high frequencies, smaller frequencies. Basically, you could you could see how the data is really distributed. Not just by five numbers, but by more. Uh, over the entire range of the data. And uh, this is called the violin plot for this kind of, some resembles the violin shapes. 
In here, five numbers would not be enough to summarize all the distribution that there is in the data. You can combine the data, the two things overlay. Take the violin plot and over, overlay the box plot. This is done in R yesterday. Uh, ages per different uh, job categories, and of course, the child persons are older than the students. But you can, you can, uh, if you start to, to visualize, summarize these ranges, um, these are the lovely categories, these are the, the entrepreneurs, the, the, the bosses, specialists, um, service uh, people or, or, or workers. So you can, you can visually compare um, different uh, things. Of course, this shows you some of the most obvious things, but you, you can compare uh, different uh, categories in this way. So you can take one type of plot and overlay the, the other type. And this already brings out a little bit more information, right? Uh, so what we were so far sort of talking about five numbers, one, two, three in the max. Uh, but you can also calculate the standard deviation, sort of what is the, the how wide this is distributed, right? So this is more narrow, the distribution, so the standard deviation is smaller. In here, standard deviation is clearly larger. Uh, so standard deviation uh, would allow us to, on, on top of the normal distribution or sort of normal Gaussian distribution, normal distribution, you have the mean value. And within one standard deviation from the mean, almost 70% of the data is within one standard deviation. So they are very close to the mean. If you go two standard deviations away, already 95%. You go three standard deviations, almost all the data, 99.7% of the data is within this range from, from this value, minus three to plus three standard deviations. So you, in this way, you could so, so, sort of somehow say that let, uh, you could take the original data and instead of the original values, just apply this standard deviation normalization, and instead of whatever the value was, say that this is minus 2.5 standard deviations lower than the mean value. And this is what, called the z-score. Uh, so zero, minus one, the standard deviation, minus two, minus three, minus four. And standard deviations like 10 are almost non-existing in the paper. Uh, so, so these are called the z-scores here. Minus four standard deviations, z-score, uh, you could take the original data and convert it to replace it by minus 4.0. Was it the height, the weight, the blood pressure, the earnings? You can just say how far it is from the mean of that data value. And then everything is kind of comparable because the mean is always zero and you are either higher or below mean. 
okay, let me see what was. Um, the standard deviations. The standard deviation trick allows you to take if 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 you have like customers in the in the shop, right? You may have the their salary, which can go from annual salary from a couple of thousand to hundreds of thousands, right? The how many kids there is? Okay, maybe the integers like kids is zero, one, two, three. Maybe it's not really standard deviations are not perhaps proper thing for the key count. But maybe some other measurement like uh, shoe size, right? Or height, weight, whatever. Then these kinds of tricks um, will actually allow you to make the data somehow comparable. Otherwise, you don't know. You start comparing how, how similar the two are. And you suddenly only bring out the similar uh, the distance speed by the salary, right? If one value range is so much larger than the others, then these values, if you make complete the distance, then this one single value difference will dominate. So some of this normalization is needed really uh, to make the data comparable from one attribute to the other attribute to the third attribute, or from one year to the other sort of like different measurement types. Uh, I was thinking to go, not to talk about this, sort of like, we were showing the distributions in this way, but you could also uh, do some kind of uh, cumulative distribution from sort of like, uh, uh, you go from zero to the, just keep adding how many, how many values, how, how fast the small values range, uh, rise, or how, how many uh, larger values. So you can sort of make the cumulative plots. And the cumulative plots you can compare to the theoretical plot and see how the theoretical behavior and, and actually measured ones are similar or not. So empirically, uh, you would just count. Suddenly is the value you count up. So you basically just cumulatively say that 0.8, 80% all the values are smaller than this value, 0.75. 80% of the values, I'm not sure if I see it, but 80% values are smaller than this value. Okay. Uh, theoretically, it's about the same. And you can compare the two graphs. In here, actually, we are built inside below it here. In here, you go up the theoretical. In here, you are below, up. You can compare these two things in this cumulative way. And these uh, so-called QPU plots for the normal distribution, for the even distribution you would have, uh, you can compare this one normally distributed extends in the middle values, and this is what the QPU plot looks for this distribution, what it looks like. There are few small values, many values that are in the mid-range, and few larger values. While this distribution has many values that are small, many that are large, so small value, small value, small value, you go to the small values already in here, and this is compared to the uniform distribution. So basically you can compare the two distributions. 
Or, of course, you could just say that uniform distribution should be equal in here, compared to uniform distribution, to this normal distribution, or to this bimodal distribution. This is just another way to look at this. Uh, comparing one-third position should be on the theoretical binary here, but we observe that it is in here. We are much below the expected range. So looking at the 30%, 30%, comparing the two values. So comparing the quantiles or quantiles to quantiles. That's why it's Q, Q, quantile to quantile comparison. In, in both of these cases, the, the media value is really at the midpoint. In, they, they both are in here. So that's fine. But the end, ends are differently distributed. In here, the theoretical. Uh, Uh, compared to the normal distribution, so real values are smaller, so the theoretical value uh, should be higher. So th this is where I, I sometimes get confused. So, so is it, it goes sort of counterintuitively. Uh, the, the frequency of the observed is actually smaller, but it's above the expected finding here. Okay, so that was um, we showed some of the advanced things. We, we started with these uh, histograms and densities and box plots, etc. But in the very beginning of the lecture, I also showed you this. Uh, when you have the numbers, you can just plot the numbers and sort and plot. And this is what is the sort and plot. So, four thousand. Things plotted by their value, right? You sort and then plot. These are actually uh, pairs, 4,000 pairs of protein protein interactions, and the number measured for this interaction is how, how similar these, these two genes behave in the, in the cell. So they have measured the gene expression compared to if the gene expression is similar or not. These are highly similar, uh, these are randomly behaving, and these are highly uh, un uh, opposite. One goes up, the other goes down. But the, the thing that was visualized in here is that simple visualization showing interactions, measuring the similarities, and the white boxes are the ones that were previously known interactions. So the problem is that there were interaction data sets suddenly got many new predictions and it wasn't known are they true or not. And by plotting out if they are correlated or not, uh, you can sort of see that the white ones are indeed enriched in here, the prior knowledge was indeed enriched in here, but even well, if you would take random pairs, you would see this red distribution which would be for the random pairs. So you could say that, in fact, all these 
interactions in here, 1,200, they seem to be enriched in the true interactions, and they are clearly more correlated than from, for the random pairs. So therefore, we believe that these data are more correct than, for example, these ones. Maybe these ones are coming from the noise. So that, that is, again, by this uh, visual con convincing yourself visually, uh, saying that, uh, that, that the story should be true or more, more believable. So we have this just sort and plot. XY scatter plots several times showed. By looking at the data, you can observe if the data has some, some problems, some outliers or some underlying distribution. These data are both positively correlated. These are negatively correlated. One goes larger, the other goes smaller. So these are negatively correlated. And in fact, these are not called correlated because there is no single trend. But you can still observe that there is some relationship. And it's possible to try to fit the relationship on top of this statement. And here you would, you would fit the linear function, linear regression line. In here you, you could fit the linear line, negative uh, relationship. In here you might fit something that is not linear. So these are the examples where data is not correlated. X, Y just broadly distributed. This is some range. The other range, so basically there, are, there is no trend in the data. Uh, we did talk about mean and standard deviation variances and correlations in, in a way to measure what is the correlation linear regression line. This is example of the um, artificially generated uh, example of the data that has the relationship in the data. Linear function has been fitted through the data. The mean value has been calculated. The standard deviations have been calculated. And it turns out that the, the line fitted through the data, the averages, all of them are equal. All the numbers are equal from the data. But when you plot the data, you can see that the data looks very different. So this has one outlier. You would not call this line as, as the best fit through the data because there is just an outlier. Uh, this has very strange shape. But uh, if you just calculate mathematically, you would have exactly the same averages and lines fit into the data. Or in here, exactly the same, just one outlier makes this uh, look like that. So this sort of tries to convince that, yes, we can calculate some things, and we should calculate uh, correlations, we should calculate the means, averages, uh, well, the, the means, all the number summaries. Uh, we should uh, try to fit the functions in the data, but visualization is important. You may need to look at the data anyways. Because there may be some artifacts that the numbers do not tell all the story. 
So this is actually this all the data that we uh, added to generate. Uh, okay, I, I don't say how this is done, but in the previous examples, uh, you could fit the linear line with the linear regression, linear combination of the attributes fit what is a function, underlying function. You can fit the line through the, the data points, and therefore you can start making predictions. What is the line for if x1 is 18? Oh, I would predict that x y1 should be third, uh, 11 in here. You can start making predictions. Right? You can do this, but uh, the problem is that when you have data like that, you need either uh, other types of polynomials that you could fit through the data. Uh, for example, you could think that this is the, the second degree polynomial. Or you can also do the thing where you look at the same piecewise and fit the linear line through the, this piece of data point. You can make a windowing approach through the data range and every time apply the, the simplest method, the linear method. And that would correspond to what is in here, uh, lowest curve. Uh, just piecewise, you estimate uh, this function, and you can uh, fit uh, this kind of line through the data. So, so these kinds of functions are able to us to understand the data, able us to normalize the data, or enable us to predict the new values. Um, with this, we can finish for today. And continue next week.